Crypto Freedom Show. My name is Rob Berger. Happy Halloween. Uh, I kind of debated whether to have the show tonight. I don't know. But I was able to go trick-or-treating with my granddaughter. And so that was good. In the chat, please give me a thumbs up if everything technically is good. As you can see, I'm using a, the other mic. So looking for a thumbs up, and I'm going to get this show started. By the way, for those that asked questions before the show started, I did copy them into a Google Doc. So, uh, oh, good. We got a thumbs up. Thank you. Well, a bunch of them. Very good. All right, so we're good. So I want to dive right to it with the topic. And uh, this came up because, uh, so, so here's the deal. Dave Ramsey has often talked about what a, a, a sort of a safe withdrawal rate would be in retirement. In the past, what I've heard him say, I believe, I could have this wrong, but I believe this is fairly accurate, is the theory is, look, you can kind of get, you know, with a stock portfolio, say 12% uh, average return. And so you factor in some inflation and you can take out 8%. And uh, this came back to me because a viewer sent me a link to a video and uh, it was more recent. It was this year and it was sort of part of Dave's call-in show. And he didn't mention the 8%. Here's what he said. So the question was this. The caller said, look, I, it was a man. He said, I'm 72. My wife is 70. We got like a million bucks in a traditional retirement account. I think it was hundred grand in Roth. We have, you know, get income, social security. And he said, look, we want to spend some money now. Uh, you know, and, um, and our advisor, financial advisor has said 4%. Dave, what do you think? And so I took some notes on this. And um, so Dave said a couple of things. He first said, look, you get an average market return of 11 to 12%. This has been a big thing of Dave's. He said it for years. He, you know, and, and if you search like Dave Ramsey, 12%, you'll get all kinds of articles because even with a 100% stock, uh, stock portfolio, the average return, the compounded annual growth rate, which is what we care about, is not 12%. Now, over some short periods of time, it can be. It can be higher than that, right? We all know that. But long-term, it's not. It's just not 12%. It's just, this isn't a, an opinion. This is a fact. Those pesky facts. So I'll show you this. I just Googled from one site. Since 1926, the average has been 10.05%. I dumped it into Portfolio Visualizer, US stock market. If we invested a dollar 50 years ago, that's a pretty good long period of time. Uh, the compound annual growth rate comes out, I don't know how well you can read it, but 10.13. That's about right, about 10%. Now, you know, at this point, you could say, okay, but who cares? Okay, if Dave wants to believe it's 12%, let him. And I agree with that, except if you then use that belief to make some financial decision, right? It's not like we're just, you know, at a coffee shop talking, oh, he thinks it's 12%, I think it's 10, someone else thinks it's 47, who cares? But if we're then going to use it to make a financial decision, then we, then we got to care. You can see I'm already getting fired up. It's amazing how I can get fired up over Dave Ramsey and, and safe retirement withdrawal. I need to get a life. Um, so what he said was, for well, first he said that the guy's advisor, the, the, who the, this caller's advisor is, you know, we don't know, didn't, didn't mention their name, but Dave first called him a name. You know, it seems like the thing to do. Called him a lemming, whatever. And then he says, okay, look, um, 10%. He says, he says, look, you're 72, wife 70. You got what, 25 years, 10%, you know, if you've invested it right, 10% is not going to destroy the portfolio. You can do a 10% withdrawal, uh, assuming like a 25-year planning period, because his wife is 70, so let's say to 90.
65, and I take no issue with that assumption, 10%. And then he said late, a little bit later, yeah, he would suggest five to 6%. And this was a four minute video, so this wasn't some detailed analysis. But I thought, well, let's break it down. So let's start with 10%, and um, you know where this is gonna go, right? So I decided to use FI Calc. I've got 25 years plugged in, a million dollar portfolio, 100% equities, because I know that's what Dave wants. And uh, let's put in, so 10% would be 100 grand, right? There you go. Um, and according to this, we have a 16% chance of success. What that means is historically, 80, roughly 84% of the time, you'd run out of money in under 25 years. And we can actually look at it, it's pretty ugly. All those red buttons, are years where we go broke before before 25 years. Some of them are pretty bad. Let's go to 1929. You run out of money in six years. Now you could say, well, Rob, that's not fair. You picked the worst time to retire. Well, no, actually, it's not the worst time to retire. It probably is the worst time to retire if you have a 100% stock portfolio, like, like I've heard Dave suggest. Uh, but in any event, yeah, uh, six years and you're broke. Uh, but that's not a an anomaly. I mean, look, obviously we've got a lot of red. 66, 68, those are typically the worst years if you have a more, I'll call it traditional portfolio for a retiree. But even here, you run out of money in nine years. I suppose you could do it and say, well, hopefully I'll get lucky because some of these years you survive, right? Let's take the most recent would be 1986. Now, you know, at 25 years, you've got $24,000 left. So, you know, not exactly good times. I hope you don't live to be 96, um, but you survive the 25 years, right? But you could say, well, I'm going to do this and it's ugly, but I'll just, I'll just reduce my spending at some point during those 25 years. That's certainly a possibility. By the way, you run the risk, as we saw, of depleting your portfolio very, very quickly. Uh, and even if that's not the case, you could end up having to uh, reduce your spending very soon and significantly, right? And so that's the thing, that's the real takeaway that you have to tell people. You can't just say you can, you know, start with 10%. It's just, I just think that's, I started to say it's crazy. Uh, and I think that's a fair assessment, but I, I, I guess I could say it's unsupported by the historical evidence. Now, he then said five to 6%, and uh, we'll do six, so that'd be 60 grand. It looks much better. You actually are successful. 71% of the time, again, based on historical data. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some, a lot of bad years. I actually, though, don't think this is very, is uh, all that unreasonable. I think you could make this argument. The thing I would say to the caller, Dave didn't say this, but but I would, was say, look, you can start with 60 grand because they were really, I think, wanting to spend some money in their 70s. And the theory would be, you're going to spend more in your 70s than you will in your 90s. And that's assuming you both live to your 90s. Uh, so you can start with this, just recognize there's a, a not insignificant chance, assuming you both live 25 years, you're going to have to be reducing your spending. Now they may say, that's fine. We're good with that. We'll, we'll do that. Maybe even in our eighties, we, we, we won't travel as much, whatever. I think that's fine. I don't think that's this. I don't think a 6% withdrawal rate is crazy. As long as you understand that you are going to have to be nimble, particularly if, you know, 2022 turns out to be one of these red years, right? Um, I also, by the way, wouldn't recommend a 100% stock portfolio, but that's just me. Um, 
And so, I, you know, the point I kind of wanted to make here was, uh, you know, be careful. You, you should, you should, uh, you should evaluate and think for yourself, no matter what. Whether you're listening to my show, Dave's show, someone else's, these are just our opinions, right? We're not your financial advisor. We, we don't have a contractual or fiduciary relationship with you. This is just our opinions. Someone wants to come up on the street and ask me my opinion, I can give it to them. That's effectively what we're doing here. And so you got to kind of think through these things for yourself. My hope with this channel is that I give you sort of tools and whatnot where you can do that. That's kind of my goal. I don't know. <laughs> Some days I think I'm succeeding more than others. Uh, anyway, there you go. That's it. So let's get to your questions. I'm going to start with um, some of the questions that were asked before the show started. So I can't put them up on the screen. So uh, a viewer named Jackham says, I'm confused about the percentage of bonds one should keep in the tax-free uh, bucket for rebalancing. They talk about tax deferred bucket as a great place for bonds. How do you rebalance? So the way I understand the question is you use the word bucket, but I'm assuming it's tax free an account like a Roth versus a tax deferred account like a traditional 401k or IRA. My approach is to keep bonds in the traditional, right? Uh, now, uh, and, and then stocks in the Roth because I want the Roth to grow as much as possible. Now that raises to your question then, what, you know, how do you rebalance? Well, here's the thing, at least with my accounts, I don't, it's not that I have only bonds in my traditional retirement accounts. I have stocks too. Uh, I suppose it's possible the dollars that you have in each account could work out such that, you know, you have just bonds uh, in your traditional account and maybe just stocks in a Roth account. It worked out just perfectly that way. I would think that's probably not normally the case for most people. And then if you were going to rebalance, it would come down to either uh, new contributions, right? Uh, or, you know, you could deviate. Th these aren't hard and fast rules in the sense that, oh my goodness, you know, don't ever put bonds in a Roth. Uh, uh, my preference is not to for the reasons that I've, you know, talked about. But, you know, if 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 I had to, you know, that's okay. I, I don't mind putting some bonds in my Roth if I had to, or I could decide, you know, I don't really need to rebalance. My asset allocation is off a little bit, but I'm okay with that, you know, uh, or again, new contributions. So hope that answers your question. All right. Roy asks, with short-term treasuries paying slightly more than CDs now, at least at Fidelity, do you see that as a better option to park short-term cash? Is it more complicated? So two great questions. If I can get a better rate on, on a treasury, say a treasury bill, than a brokered CD at Fidelity, I'm going to buy the, the treasury bill. A uh, part of the reason, well, obviously you get a higher rate, but also there's no state, in, so state or local income tax with treasury bills. So that's an advantage over a certificate of deposit, whether the CD is a bank CD, you buy directly from a bank, or it's a brokered CD, you buy from a broker uh, like Fidelity. It, they're not complicated to buy. Uh, I haven't found. They're really no more complicated than buying a brokered CD or a stock in Fidelity. Um, and, you know, the, the, the one issue you could say is, well, if interest rates go up, the value of my treasury bills will go down, right? And that's true. Uh, but since the treasury bills, they're not long-term bonds, so they're probably not going to go down much. It's number one. 
you can hold them to maturity. Again, if we're talking like a you know a few weeks or a few months treasury bill, and but also brokered CDs. If you're going to sell them early and interest rates have gone up, the value of a brokered CD will go down too. Brokered CDs behave a lot like bonds. So yeah, if if the if the treasury bills are paying more than CDs, uh, for me that's what I'm going to go with, and for all of those reasons. Okay. Raddy, who I think chimed in last week, says, get the shelf cleaned up before the show, please. Um, I don't think so. I will say, though, that there will be probably some changes going on behind me, in part because my wife is also not happy with that shelf. I kind of wonder if she's logged in as Raddy. Maybe. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Could happen. Okay. This is an interesting question from Joshua. He says, currently 100% equity in my Roth, 76% S&P 500, 12% total international, 12% small cap value. Any value in adding an index funds that tr tracks the Dow Jones industrial average? Well, hang on. Dow Jones industrial average index fund. By the way, I don't think one exists. That's what I'm getting to. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Three ETFs. See, the, the thing to know is that the Dow Jones is a, is a price-weighted index, not a cap-weighted index. And that's a big difference when it comes to indexing. Um, but I do see uh, one site here. I guess there is. The Spider Dow Jones Industrial Average ETF, DIA. By the way, the short answer is no. I personally don't think there's any point in doing this. Um, but I do want to look this fund up. Here it is. 16 basis points. So it's, the portfolio should be pretty limited, right? Um, 30 holdings, right? Because the Dow Jones is, a, well, 30 holdings. It's pretty small. Uh, I, I just don't see the point in adding this to a portfolio. I really don't. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, I guess it's, more tilted at the moment to value. I don't know what the history on that is. Let's see. It's always value. That's interesting. Um, I guess, you know, you could view this as, uh, you, you know, a value play, but I would think, you know, just a more diversified large cap value fund like Schwab's, you know, dividend fund is an example. I would personally be more comfortable with that. I have, I have no idea what, uh, let's see what the performance has been. And actually, let's go to chart. I'm curious about this. And we're going to compare it to VU. And that's the chart. What's going on, Morningstar? That's not, oh, there we go. No, took it away. Well, in any event, so much for that. Let's just go to performance. It's it's done a lot better than the S&P this year. But no, I personally don't see any reason or need to add, you know, a fund with 30 stocks, th basically 30 U.S. large cap stocks personally. Okay. 
Jack says, thank you for recommending new retirement software. You're welcome. I am still working on the projection lab video. and I think I'll have it published tomorrow. I've just been trying to understand the software. The, 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 so all of these pack programs are fairly complicated. And you can get a result that doesn't seem right. And you have to then figure out why. And, and there's almost always a reason, you know, that's specific to the software. So I've, and I've had a lot of back and forth with the developer who's been terrific. His name's Kyle. Joshua says, if you had to buy one stock for the long term, what would it be? Well, for me, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be Berkshire. And uh, and that's true, even though Warren Buffett obviously is not going to be at the helm forever. It's just a great diversified. It's like it's almost it's like buying a large cap mutual fund. Um, so that would be my choice. All right. There you go. Now back to the live questions. Let's see. By the way, if you want to ask a question or have me talk about a topic, try to tag me in your comment. That helps me find everything. So here's a good question from Bob. We are retired and have just one individual company stock. It's Apple and accounts for 9% of our portfolio, which is buy and hold index funds. Is that too much? So my first question to you is what percentage of your your portfolio are you drawing down each year? And, and is that percentage, uh, do you see that changing? Maybe you, you, you expect expenses to go up or down a few years, or you expect income to change in some way. But, but that would be my first question. And if I were in a position where I needed four, four to five, well, I should back up. Another question would be, how old are you? And what are you, for planning purposes, what's your time horizon? Um, how much debt do you have? How much flexibility do you have and how much you're spending? Do you need every dime you're spending to get by? Or could you cut way back if you wanted to? You may not like it, but you could and cut out the vacations and whatever. Those are all important questions in my view and an to answering this question. Uh, many people would say 9% is too much. I've heard Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. I, I enjoy him watching him on YouTube. I don't watch him a lot, but of course he's on Shark Tank. I think he has said he never has an, uh, an investment worth more than 5%. That's his hard and fast rule, 5%. That's the cutoff. So if, if, if this were his portfolio, he would sell you know, the 4% extra from Apple. I don't generally, uh, I, I don't follow that rule. I don't have very many um, holdings, uh, individual holdings that are above. In fact, Apple is the only one that I have that's above 5%. Um, but I haven't sold it just because it's whatever X percent of my portfolio. Um, but I also, you know, in answer to all of those sort of questions I asked you, the answers for me come out out in a way where I'm comfortable taking that additional risk. And we use it to fund charitable donations for now. And, um, and so from a tax perspective, that's been very good. And obviously, it's worked out very well for us. We bought the first shares in 2013. And our gains are more than, you know, are more than than what we put into it. So we've been very fortunate and they obviously had a, a decent quarter and their stock was up 7% and then it came down today. Uh, so I, I would be comfortable holding say 9%. But again, I think all of those other questions uh, matter. And then the other question would be, if you sell some of it, what are the tax consequences? And you could use, you, you could start selling some of it 
you know, as part of funding your retirement, if you felt comfortable, you don't have to like go down to X percent right away. You can do it over time. But to me, whether, whether that's too much depends on all of those other questions. If I needed every dime of, of, of a four or 5% withdrawal to survive, I personally would not be comfortable holding 9% in an individual stock. Now, what I would do about it is another story. Depends a lot on taxes. So that's my best answer, Bob. Hope that helps. All right. I need a drink. I'm already parched. It's only 720. You were very well organized too. Vinyl said that, but I'm going to assume uh, he wasn't talking about me. Hmm. David asked this question. I'm thinking about opening up a new taxable brokerage account. Given your experience, would you choose M1 Finance or Betterment? I don't know about the 25 basis point fee, and that's in reference to Betterment. What are your thoughts? So uh, it would depend on what you're trying to achieve. If you have a simple IRA, you know what you want to invest in. You want a three fund portfolio or five fund portfolio, and, and, and you like the idea of being able to rebalance it automatically you know, with the click of a button in M1 Finance then uh, I would go with M1 Finance. It's easy, like you uh, kind of alluded to in your question, there aren't uh, fees, uh, you know, a, a management fee like there is at Betterment. And it makes rebalancing very easy, particularly if you're gonna do an IRA where there's no tax consequences to worry about. If you're really kind of wanting someone to take over for you, come up with a portfolio, rebalance it for you, maybe do some tax loss harvesting, you have a retirement account, you have a taxable account, you know, you have a lot more sort of moving parts and you want the help, then to me, betterment's the way to go. So that's how I would decide based on what you're trying to achieve uh, and what kind of level of help you want. You know, betterment also has uh, advisors you can speak to. There's fees associated with that, of course, but, you know, that's another uh, another service it offers. M1 Finance doesn't have that. So don't know if that's a, a consideration for you, but if it is, um, then that would favor Betterment. If it's not, then that would favor M1 Finance. So that'd be my high level take on the Betterment versus M1 Finance question. All right. By the way, I've used both of them. All right, for whatever that's worth. Oh. You see the High State Buckeye game? Uh, we beat Penn State. Tough game. Penn State played well. Ohio State did not, at least not the first half, really the first three quarters. I don't know if my good friend Kelly is watching, but we have a wager every year, and the winning team has to buy the other guy lunch. So this will be 10 out of the last 11 years I've been buying him lunch. It's a very costly friendship, but well worth it. So Josh wants to know, he says, thanks for doing your excellent show. I live in Pennsylvania, Penn State. Yeah, maybe. Happy Valley, Beaver Stadium, Whiteout. I don't know. What do you think about VPAIX for the muni fund portion of my taxable account? I don't know that I've ever looked at that fund. Let's take a look. The PA suggests to me that maybe it's a Pennsylvania-based municipal it is Vanguard PA long-term tax exempt fund. So here it is. So the benefit um, 
I'm going to assume that the PA stands for Pennsylvania. That's an assumption. Let me take the, the question down. So the, the, the benefit of that is, so a municipal bond fund is exempt from federal income tax. If, they're, if you live in Pennsylvania and they're, and they're Pennsylvania-issued municipal bonds, I'm assuming they're, they're tax-exempt from Pennsylvania taxes, state taxes. The reason I say assuming, though, is because I don't know anything about Pennsylvania tax laws. The, the only concern I have for this is that it's long-term. Uh, I have two concerns. So the first is it's long-term. And so uh, that's, it's just something to know. It doesn't eliminate it from consideration. It's just, well, let's take a look at the duration. Oh, that's interesting. It says long-term. The duration is actually only 7.74. Um, I mean, that's borderline intermediate term. So I, I, that, that probably wouldn't concern me. But the other um, uh, concern I would have is it's probably, let's see how many bonds it owns. Not much data here on the site. What well, owns a thousand bonds? So the, the question would be: You're putting you're putting your portfolio, you're exposing your portfolio to risk that bad things happen in Pennsylvania. Think Illinois. <laughs> Sorry to throw shade on Illinois, but I mean from a financial, you know, perspective, they've had their issues. I have no idea where Pennsylvania how it stands. Uh, what's the rating here? Yeah, they're all investment grade. I guess that's probably generally true with municipal bond funds. But, you know, one question I would have is how much of your overall portfolio is going into this fund? I'd be a little cautious about putting too much in there. Uh, and don't ask me what too much is. <laughs> that's just going to depend on a lot of, a lot of different circumstances uh, of your portfolio and your finances. But no, just looking at this very quickly, this looks like a pretty good fund. I didn't look at fees, but it's Vanguard, so it's got to be cheap. That doesn't have to be. Yeah, 17 basis points. Yeah, I like this fund. That's my initial reaction. That's based on like a whole two minutes of looking at it. All right. I get Kyle and Emily, and it says Rob Berger, part one. Here, I'll show you. We, we better buckle up. This could be a long one. Let's see. With the average couple having around $315,000 of healthcare costs in retirement, would it be wise to stop investing in the HSA once an HSA account gets to around that point? That's a really good question. So generally, you really want to use your HSA for health expenses, right? And what I mean by that, apart from the obvious, uh, well, let me back up. Maybe that's not obvious to everyone. So an HSA is a health spending account. You can contribute to it tax-free so long as you have a, a health a high deductible health plan that qualifies. And it's HSA qualified. I think they the plan will tell you it's a HSA qualified. That's the kind of plan we have. Which, by the way, I just got my new rates uh, this week. It went up. It's going going up eighteen percent. Not happy about that. But Mitch, if you're watching, I still love you, man. You're great. He's my insurance guy and friend. Anyway, I don't even know what I was talking about. Kyle and Emily. All right. So you, you get this HSA, you contribute to a tax for, you know, it's, you get tax deduction for your contributions. There's, of course, limits each year and how much you can contribute. If you use it for medical expenses, qualified medical expenses, which you can do at any time, you do that without paying any taxes to pull the money out for medical expenses. And 
you don't have to use it all in, in the current year. You can let it carry over for decades if you want, and which is what we're doing. We're building up our HSA. I can tell you our HSA ain't anywhere near 315 grand. But here's the thing. They're not really good if you want to leave them as inheritance to someone because they, you, a spouse can put them into their own HSA. At least I'm 99.9% .9 sure they can. I guess I could look that up. But let's say a child or a friend or whatever um, inherits an HSA. It just gets taxed when it comes out. It, it, they, they can't roll it into an HSA of their own. So they're not really good um, for inheritance. You kind of want to spend them, you know, while you're living. And so you can, in my view, save too much. Of course, the question is, well, then what's too much? And that gets to Kyle and Emily's question. And it's like, well, I don't know. Tell me when you're going to die and how much you're going to spend in healthcare between now and then. And I'll tell you what too much is. Not helpful. My approach, at least this is my current plan, is to keep saving every year, max it out. And then once we get to uh, uh, Medicare, because you, you can pay your premiums with, I don't know if you can pay all your premiums. There may be some limits to this, but it's, you know some of your premiums. I'm going to start using it when, we're, when we hit um, 65. That's at least the current plan. Um, I, I think at 315,000, unless you have some known, you have a chronic illness that, you know, is going to cost a lot of money or family history. And depending on your age, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably think about slowing down. That seems like an awful lot of money. Obviously things could happen where you could end up spending more, right? I mean, you're, you're just doing a best guess. Um, but, but that doesn't mean you necessarily literally stop contributing. Maybe you contribute the amount you think you'll just spend every year for now. Of course, I don't know how old you are. Although, just looking at the picture, you look pretty young to me. Um, and a good-looking couple, as best I can tell. But the picture is only like this big. Anyway, um, you know, you could contribute an amount that you're just going to effectively spend every year on deductibles and copays and whatnot. Uh, but to me, yeah, three hundred fifteen thousand seems like a lot of money. Um, so I think you're right to be thinking about that. I just can't give, you know, I've kind of walked through my thinking on it. I don't know how I can, that's the best I can do for you. That was part, oh, here's part two, right below it. That's so convenient. Part two, to put those dollars in other retirement accounts. Right, if you're going to slow down on the HSAs, um, well, that's particularly true if your 401k or 403b has matching contributions. To me, I would definitely be focused on that to get the match. But yeah, I think at 315,000, unless I'm missing something, you know, and if you're younger, that 315 is just going to grow. I assume you've got it invested. So yeah, I would think you could slow down. That seems right to me. Okay. I don't know how helpful that was. Sam, greetings, my friend. Thanks for joining. All right. Vishnu wants to know what my thoughts are on VDIGX versus VIG. I have no idea. Let's find out. So Vanguard dividend growth. Yeah, we've looked at that. Um, and VIG is another, isn't it the, just the ETF version or am I just mixing up my tickers? Oh, that's dividend appreciation versus dividend growth. Um, let me actually pull these up. I'll show you this in a second. I want to pull them up 
on Morningstar. I mean, not Morningstar, Vanguard site. So here's the first one, Vanguard Dividend Growth. And what I'm looking for, the fund is designed to provide investors with some income while offering exposure to dividend-focused companies, blah, blah, blah. Focus on high-quality companies that have both the ability and the commitment to grow their dividends over time. Okay. However, Vanguard measures that. They're trying to invest in companies that grow their dividends over time. Now let's look at VIG. So that's interesting. So, and I don't know why the screen is glitching. That's a Vanguard website question. Uh, this fund is actively managed. It's 27 basis points. doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, some of Vanguard's actively managed funds have done incredibly well. Uh, so that's the first thing to note though. VIG is tracking the S&P 500 dividend growth index. Uh, now I'm looking to see Let's see if they tell us anything about the portfolio. They don't really. I can, So if I were evaluating this, the first thing I would recommend is that you dig into the S&P 500 Dividend Growers Index. I can Google that quickly. What I don't know is how they construct that index. I think I looked at this for an article for Forbes back in the day. Here it is. So this is, it's designed to track US companies that have followed a policy of consistently increasing dividends every year for at least 10 consecutive years. All right, fine. That's sort of like a dividends aristocrat kind of thing. Not exactly. Um, so if we go back to this, this, this is the, the actively managed and it's got 42 stocks, right? The benchmark is 289, which by the way, is basically VIG. Hang on, we'll get there. Yeah, 289. So VDIGX is effectively trying to beat the benchmark, beat, beat the index, which is kind of interesting because that's not, not normally what Vanguard does. Now, let's see if I can get the chart to work. Come on, Morningstar. So I put in VIG. Oh, here we go. It's down here. I started to get critical because of all this nonsense, but here we go. So they've, they, they're have they basically neck and neck. It's kind of funny. You think about it, that 42 companies in this fund can basically track 289 companies in this fund. But that's what I'm seeing here. So in my world, I guess VIG is slightly underperformed right? Because VIG is the, the red line. Uh, it hasn't always underperformed. It outperformed a lot but here, then underperformed and kind of is underperformed in the last, this year, basically. Um, I wonder if, uh, let's look at the portfolio. I wonder if VIG is a little more uh, value focused, a little bit more, not a lot, so, but they're they're very close, neck and neck. I personally would go with the more diversified index fund because it's the kind of thing that I'm confident I could own for a long time if if this were a kind of fund that I want, wanted to own. But they both look good to me. This is the long and short of it. Okay. 
So Jerry says, I'm trying to figure out whether to invest, to take the Save Better No Penalty CD at 3.3% or 14-week T-bill at 4%. What do you think? I would take the T-bill uh, is the short answer. Well, I, I, I spoke too soon. The first question is, how long do you want to save this money for? That would be a question. If you said 14 weeks or thereabouts, I would take the T-bill. Here's, here's the issue, but I probably would take the T-bill no matter what. Let me first show you, I'll just show you my site where you can find Save Better. And they are an advertiser. Even though I'm going to recommend T-bills, Save Better is an advertiser. Here's the 3.3. The it's, it's, it is the, the highest that I can find, the highest no penalty CD available. By the way, I like if we go to my page, just so you know how I do this site, um, here's the actual page of no penalty CDs. And I list them in order, right? So I, a lot of these are not advertisers. It, it turns out that the top three are advertisers. But if I can find a no penalty CD that pays better than 330, it, it'll be first. It'll push Sally Mae down. So if you know a better no penalty CD, let me know. But I would go with the treasury bill and let's take a look at it. You said 14 week. Let's go to, we'll just go to Fidelity. Fidelity um, fixed income. I'll show you this here when I get it pulled up. Yeah, so here we are. Here's U.S. Treasuries. So, well, you can see there's three months, six months, nine months, and they're all in the fours. Uh, to me, plus you're not going to pay state and local, local income tax on these. You you will pay st state and local as well as federal on a CD. Um, a very, and I'm looking at zeros. No, no, I'm not. I'm looking at U.S. Treasuries. Good. Um, so to me, at those rates, it's a better deal. Now, could you still end up losing out? Sure. If interest rates jump higher, the value of these tre treasury bills will go down. Now, they're short term, so they're not going to fall like a 30-year bond is going to fall. But they will fall. But still, I think the spread is such that, to me, it's a no-brainer. I would go with these over a 330 no-penalty CD. Um you know, I suppose, I just can't imagine losing out. It would take a, a massive change in interest rates. I guess anything's possible. Um, and, and these are short enough, you'd probably just hold them to maturity anyway. And that's what I would do. Now, I do expect the no penalty CDs to go up, particularly after the Fed uh, releases their next update. But right now, yeah, Jerry, I would go with T-Bill. And save better if you're watching. Sorry, just raise your rate. Save Better doesn't have any control over that, by the way. That's a Sally. I mean, it's through Save Better, but Sally May obviously sets the rate. Okay. Jim wants to know my thoughts on PRWCX and Vanguard's tax-managed balance fund in a taxable account. Does PRWCX's better returns justify it in the taxable portfolio? Well, I'm going to have to look up the Vanguard tax-managed balance fund ticker but let's take a look at the Fidelity Fund. Is it Fidelity? No, it's not Fidelity. What is that? Oh, well, T. Rowe Price, of course. Silly. 
So here's the fund. So what I look at, first of all, it's 68 basis points. So it's a lot more expensive than the Vanguard tax managed fund. Let me um, pull the comment off. That's that's point one, right? And then uh, I like to go to performance and look at distributions. And I don't like what I see right here at all. That's in a tax. You did say taxable account, right? Let's see here. Yeah, taxable. That's a heck of a lot of short, short and long term. Look at all the short term gains. That's pretty significant. In in twenty twenty one, a buck thirty eight on a nav that ended twenty twenty one at thirty six dollars. Long term capital gains of one sixty eight. I don't know what the Vanguard fund will look at it in a second, but man, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't put this in a taxable account at all. <laughs> okay. Let's look at the other one. I got to find the ticker. Vanguard's tax managed. See, I like the sound of that. Tax managed balanced fund. I generally don't put balanced funds in taxable accounts, by the way. So it looks like it's VTMFX. Let me pull it up. Yep. So I assume this is the fund you're talking about. Much cheaper, nine basis points. Uh, performance, we're going to go to distributions. And yeah, no, no capital gains at all. Obviously, it's going to distribute income. So yeah, I mean, th this is definitely managed a lot better. Now, we got to look at overall performance, right? So to do that, let me, uh, I'll pull it back up, but well, actually I can put it on the screen. So this is the chart of Vanguard's fund. Let me just put in T. Rowe Price's fund. So T. Rowe Price is, is, is significantly outperformed on a pre-tax basis. Whether it outperforms on an after-tax basis, I, I can't say. It's going to depend on your tax circumstances, but you definitely need to consider that. Now, the other thing I don't know, uh, Let's go to portfolio. So Vanguard's balanced fund is, let's call it a 45. Goodness, these don't add up to 100. <laughs> um, looks like roughly 45, I guess 55. They've got cash. So that's Vanguard, right? So 45% equities. Now let's go to the T. Rowe price. Got to pull up the ticker again, WCX. Remember 45% equities. What's this one? Aha. See, you can't compare the performance. It's, it's a totally different fund. It's got 62.3% in equities. <coughs> Excuse me. So totally different fund. And actually, given the additional risk and taxes, definitely would not. Yeah, I would not put this in my taxable account. But if you're going to look at a comparison, you need to find a fund that's more 60-40 or 65-35 or something like that. And they're out there. But yeah, hope that helps. That's how, anyway, that's kind of how I think through these things. Feel free to let me know if you've got a better way to think through these things. Dave Ramsey, are you listening? How would you think through these things? You, I don't know. Would you call me a name? You might. Maybe not. Maybe you'd be nice. Yeah, 68's a bad one uh, to retire. 66 ain't, ain't all that lovely. Depends on... Are you looking at it annually or quarterly or monthly? It can flop around and change. 
All right, flipping through. Need to take another drink. Why are you guys out trick-or-treating, by the way? Why are you watching the show? Shouldn't you be out with kids or something? Kids, grandkids, something? I don't know why I just said that. I don't want people to leave the show. All right. Looking for a good question. Travis. What are your thoughts on creating a taxable account portfolio, 15 to 20 year outlook with dollar cost averaging of dividend stocks, ETFs versus the three fund portfolio? Well, a couple of things. The three fund portfolio includes bonds. What I hear you suggesting is 100% stocks. So it's a significant difference and you have to assess for yourself whether you're comfortable with that risk. I think we all know the risk. We all, you know, we, we know that it can work out very well or very poorly over a given time period. 15 to 20 years is a, a decently long time. Um, but you know, the, the bigger question is whether you'd be able to stick to the portfolio, stick to your investments if they if they drop 50, 60, 70%. Um, so that's question one. The other thing about a three fund portfolio is it includes exposure to international stocks. You haven't said in your question whether you wanna do that, but that's a, a difference assuming you're not. And then that gets us to, do you want, I, I, I personally wouldn't, there are, there are ETFs. Well, first of all, there's a big difference between some dividend stocks on the one hand and, and dividend stock ETFs on the other. Because on, on, depending on how many stocks you have, you're going to have a lot less diversity than with an ETF. So by and large, I want most of my portfolio and index funds of some kind. And so I would go with ETFs or mutual funds. Uh, you know, I think if you have funds that maybe tilt towards value companies that tend to pay slightly higher dividends, I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't get crazy with it because there's nothing special about a dividend. I know I had an interesting question. Someone uh, asked the question in a comment. They say, it, apparently a video I published, I don't know, it's been over a year, I think, has started to get more views, I guess, it had to do with dividends. And, um, you know, I, I pointed out that getting a dividend is kind of like just you, you, you're getting sort of a, a portion of your share of the ownership of the company, right? Because you get the dividend and, the, and, and that's good, but the price of your remaining shares goes down by the amount of the dividend. Now, you might not notice it. It's a relatively small amount. It starts trading, moves up and down, but that's what happens. And someone left a comment and said, well, well wait a minute, Rob, if, if you're so smart about that, if that's just a return of your money, why does it get taxed? That's a good question. And the answer is because it gets taxed twice. That's what our government does. They tax your profit and it's your profit. You own a share of Apple and what, what your shares represent, are, it's your profit. And they tax it, right? Apple has to pay taxes on the profit. And then when Apple gives you some of your profit, the government taxes it again. That's what they do. It's double taxation. Anyway, to your question, I don't have any problem with with funds that sort of tilt a little bit towards value that pay dividends. I just wouldn't get crazy about it. Um, the bigger question I, in my mind is, what are your goals? What's your overall portfolio? Do you have retirement accounts? You know, what, what you know, if if this taxable account is going to sort of focus on some dividends, maybe like the Schwab fund or something like that, and you've got other investments in retirement accounts, what's your overall allocation? Those would be questions. I'm not, I don't think the three fund portfolio is the holy grail of investing. I think it's a good sound 
foundational approach to investing, but there are countless reasonable alternatives. And I don't have, my portfolio is not a three fund portfolio, never has been. It's gotten closer to that over time, but still it's not. Yeah, okay. Can you guys hear our doorbell ringing? That's what that, that, that ding dong, if you can hear it at all. I don't know if the mic's picking it up. That's what that is. Trick or treaters. Here's a good question from Alexi. What are your thoughts about buying some new issue 10 year treasury bonds if they hit 5% yield and holding them to maturity in a retirement account? It's a great risk free return. Well, hmm, it's a great risk free return if interest rates don't go up, right? If inflation rages on, it's currently 8.2%, then locked in at 5% would be not a great return, right? It's risk-free in the sense, at least in theory, that our government's good for the, for re repaying the bond when it matures. Uh, but it's uh, but whether it turns out to be a good investment depends on what inflation and interest rates do over that ten-year period. Now, you could make the argument that a ten-year tips might be a good a good investment, uh, although it's not going to hit five percent, or it's not not five percent now. What's the the real yield 10 year tips what is it i don't know i i've gone to a website that i can't decipher so according to cnbc it's 1.54% but it but it's that's guaranteed you know because of the inflation adjustments a standard treasury bond uh doesn't have any guarantees to keep up with inflation. That's the issue. So as part of an overall portfolio, I don't know that 10 year treasury bonds are a bad investment at, five, at a yield of 5%. What's the current yield? 10 year treasury yield. It is 4%. But that, that's the issue, Alexi. Um, 5% sounds great in a 2% environment or 3% environment, uh, you know, or a 4% environment. It doesn't sound so great if inflation stays at 8%, the Fed fund funds rate goes up and up. And two years from now, 10-year treasuries are yielding 8%. Your bonds have just gone down in value. Now, you'll continue to get the coupon, whatever interest the government's paying on the bond you buy. That's the issue. So I, I think for me, it's better to have just sort of a diversified bond whatever portion I'm going to allocate to bonds, a diversified portfolio it might include intermediate term treasuries, right? For me, it's usually just part of an index fund, but that's my thoughts on that. All right. I started watching a show called Shooter. Yeah, it's based on the movie, Mark Wahlberg in the movie, not in the, in the show. I think it came out in 2016. It's been three seasons. I don't know how I missed it. I've seen the movie. Great show though, by the way. If you guys have other shows to recommend, let me know. But that's pretty good so far, season one. I mean, it's following the movie, so I kind of know what's happening. Um, but that's okay. It's been fun. Back, look at this, not this one, this one. 
Vinyl says, back in the 70s, my brother would trick-or-treat for five hours and come home with 100 pounds of candy. What kind of shape is he in today? That's a lot of candy. All right. Noreen says, your thoughts on municipal bonds? I know very little about them. Well, so municipal bonds are sort of best known for the fact that they're not, the interest is not subject to federal income tax. Um, it can be subject to state income tax, depending on where you live and who issues the municipal bond. But they're, they're issued by, you know, state and local governments to fund whatever. I mean, it could be a hospital or, you know, schools or whatever. They're generally considered uh, stable investments. I mean, some state and local governments can get into turmoil from time to time. But in a municipal bond fund, uh, they, you know, I, I don't have any concerns with owning them. I've owned them in the past. In, but you only want to own them in a taxable account. You know, you, you put them in a retirement account and the tax advantages go away. And the thing you have to keep in mind, Noreen, is that you say, well, the tax benefits are great, but you're paying for that, right? But, you know, because you're, you're going to get a, a slightly lower yield. And uh, what that difference is varies. So whether they're a good deal for you will depend in part on your tax brackets. If you're at the top tax bracket living in New York, California, a much better deal than if you know you're living in Texas or Tennessee or Florida and your federal income tax rate is 10 or 12 percent. So there you go. That's my 60 second take on municipal bonds. Let's see. Okra Joe wants to know, how does one decide when to consolidate a bunch of prior employers, 401ks, scattered between Fidelity and Vanguard? Well, there's sort of just a lot of factors that I personally would would think would, would walk through. Uh, one would be how many are we talking about? Uh, I would think, do, 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 are, do they have good investment options, mainly, mainly meaning low-cost index funds, where they are? Because I might just leave them there. Uh, Am I currently working and do I have a 401k where I could roll them into my current employer's 401k? Of course, that's going to depend. Is it a good 401k with good investment options? One thing to think about is that when you turn 55 and then quit your job, you can take money out of the, the 401k that was at that job you just quit without paying the 10% penalty. You can Google, what would we Google? 401k 55 year old rule and you get some yeah you'll get a lot of information on it what if i've written any of these articles i don't think so but here's the thing it only applies to the to if you if you if you retire when you're 55 or older of course you can take money out when you're 59 and a half but it bridges that gap of four and a half years i guess but only at the 401k that was at the job you quit when you were 55 or older. So you can take all of your old 401ks from employers you left long ago, if this applies to you, roll them into the current employer's 401k. And then when you quit at 55 or older, you could take from that larger pot of money, something to just consider. Um, obviously, there's always the consideration of simplicity of managing everything. Uh, that's about the only thing I can think of. 
I'm sure there are other considerations that I'm not thinking of right now, but that's what comes to mind on a Monday evening, Halloween at 7.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. By the way, we change our clocks, I think. We fall back, right? Is it this upcoming week? It's either this upcoming... When do we fall back? When does the time change? Sunday, 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 March 13th. No, that's not what we want. Yeah, Sunday, November 6th. Daylight savings time ends 2 a.m. So don't forget to change your clocks. Or do we have to do that anymore? Do they just change themselves? So Victory USA says, as a new investor, I am disillusioned after a large investment in a new five fund portfolio in February 22. After over a 15% loss now, how to ensure safety and returns? Am I just supposed to wait for markets to recover? Victory USA, in my view, the answer is yes. You what you know, you just you you to me, there's only one kind of investing that's long-term investing. And frankly, you know, if you invest for whatever, 40, 50 years, 15% loss is nothing. You're going to see this over and over and over again, repeatedly, and much worse. Uh, and so in some ways, 2022 can condition you. This is just, you're going to have good years, you're going to have bad years. If we look at just using the S&P 500, let's see here. See if I can show you a chart. Yeah, I mean, this is S&P 500 returns. I don't know that this includes dividends, but I mean, you know, this goes back to 2029 20, or so, 27, I guess. Obviously, those were bad years. But I mean, look, you know, in 08, is this 08 or, yeah, down 38% one year. Look at uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, terrible. I mean, if you look at this, it's it's been a bad year but by no means anywhere near the worst. And this is just one year. Look, at preceded. Now, I know you started in February 22. That can seem discouraging. But if your dollar cost averaging and you're investing monthly or, or quarterly or whatever, you're buying cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which long-term will pay off. That's my view. I don't know how comforting that is, but I mean, you know, once you've invested for a really long time, it's not that it gets easier because your risk profile changes as you age, as your finances change. Uh, but you do kind of get to the point where you're like, yeah, I've seen this before and I've seen worse before. I don't know. All right, I need to think about this one from Jerry. Does it make sense to convert, convert pre- Tax 401k. So you've, you've, you've added some pre-tax, wait, pre-tax. So a 401k, traditional 401k to Roth during down market. So here's my take on this. It will apply to a traditional IRA as well. Uh, you first have to decide if it makes sense from a tax perspective to do the conversion. The fact that there's a down market doesn't, if it doesn't make sense, meaning if you think about it, the question comes down kind of to how much tax will I pay to convert it now? What's my effective tax rate 
versus what will my tax rate be if I don't convert and take the money out of the traditional 401k whenever that's going to be, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, your RMDs, whenever that is. Of course, there's no way to know the answer to that for sure. You have to make your best guess. But if you if you can pay a lower rate now than you would pay in the future, it makes sense, right? If you If that's not the case, if you're going to pay a higher rate now, then the fact that the market go, go, has gone down doesn't doesn't magically turn it into a good a good deal. So, but but once you know that it makes sense to convert, let's say you've just, you've done the analysis and you're going to convert ten thousand, you'd rather convert ten thousand at today's prices than ten thousand at the prices that existed in January, because you're going to the the dollars are the same ten grand, but. It, that amount of money is going to be represented by more shares because they cost less. And then when hopefully they go up over time, you'll get that boost. Does that make sense? That's how I think about it. So Jim wants to know, he's got a 65-35 portfolio, 65, I'm assuming 65% stocks, 35% bonds. He's got, uh, do they say MIGA, MIGA, the multi-year guaranteed annuity. I think that's what it stands for. Currently at 5.4% at seven years and CDs or bills instead of a bond fund. So that's what he wants to know. Can I use these annuities, CDs and bills instead of a bond fund? So Obviously, you got to figure out the fees, if any, on the on a on on the annuity. Those kind of annuities can actually not necessarily have terrible fees. Here's the issue with them: you, you're going to get penalized if you take your money out early, and the penalties can be severe. I don't know what they are off the top of my head. Depends on in part on when you take them out. Uh, and so, for again, five point four percent seems great. It may be great over the next seven years. Could be terrible. Depends what interest rates do. You also have to look at the stability of the insurance company. Uh, bills are short-term, uh, obviously. I generally think intermediate term is the sweet spot for me. I own some treasury bills, but for most of our bond portfolio, it's an intermediate term. I'm just more comfortable with that long-term, and I'm comfortable leaving it there even in years like 2022 when the market for bonds just collapsed. Certificates of deposit just depends on the rate and the term. I will say it's a, what you're describing is a heck of a lot more work than a fund. Um, and the thing you just have to keep in mind, I, don't, I, I can't say that it's a bad approach. The thing you just have to keep in mind is the interest rate risk based on the term of the CD, the penalty to get out of it. Same thing with the, the multi-year, it's multi-year guaranteed annuity, right? Make sure I got that right. Multi-year guaranteed annuity, yes. Uh, and so you just, you know, you have to recognize that if interest rates end up going up, your 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 annuity and your CDs could look really bad. Bills are short term, so they're going to turn over pretty quickly. It's not so much an interest rate risk. It's just that uh, longer term, they, they're, they're probably, longer term, they're not going to do as well as an intermediate term fund, I wouldn't think. 
but you, I mean, you know, even that you don't know. Or I mean, if if you know, we saw from '82 to the present, interest rates just basically going down. They had their ups and downs, but basically going down. If we imagine now another 30 years where they're going up, uh, bills would look pretty good because they're just rolling over at higher and higher rates, right? And as the interest rates go up, intermediate term and longer term bonds are going down in value. But I don't know that I would, I wouldn't position my portfolio to assume that's going to happen. I wouldn't personally. I don't know how helpful that was, Jim, but that's my reaction to your question. All right. How are we doing on time? 804. So DD wants to know savings in a variable annuity is at 300k. They're not contributing to it anymore. Also 300 grand in my 403b and uh, maxing out an IRA. Retiring in 3 years. Should I do something about the annuity? You might. I, honestly, I, I I don't have any idea what you should do about that annuity. I don't know what the terms of it are. I don't know what your options are. I probably would reach out to a financial, not the annuity company or the person that sold it to you. I, I would reach out to a, a, a flat fee, hourly based advisor, advisor and get an answer. That's what I would do. But I think now's the time to do that. I, I You know, you're three years away from retiring. I would absolutely be doing that. By the way, on the variable annuity, you know, there's, there's got to be an insurance component to it. So I wonder, like, what's happening to your your cash value over time, if that's the right term. I don't know. I don't know. I would definitely be asking someone to look at the situation. <laughs> I wish I could give you an easy answer, but there's just there's just too many unknowns and complications. Final wants to know, I wonder what Rob would say about my buddy with 400,000 shares of Apple. He probably wouldn't like that portfolio. Basis is 20 cents a share. I think that's fantastic. Are you kidding me? I got to get the calculator out. 400,000. What's the price now? Buck 50? Apple. 153.34. Whoops. Comma, comma, 61 million. I think that's what it is. Just double checking. Times, we'll just round it to 153. Yeah. When you got 61 million, I mean, unless his drawdown is like 20 million a year, does it matter? I guess if, if Apple went bankrupt, I don't think I'd worry about that. I think that's amazing. You should at least have another fund, though, something. Is your friend Tim Cook? All right. So this is, Dwayne says, a little off topic. No, this question is not off topic at all. What tool would you recommend for managing early retirement and living off rentals? Well, it's a great question. And I'm doing these reviews of, of tools. The one that I'm going to be reviewing, again, should be uh, tomorrow. I get the video out. Is this one, 
which as you can see this demo version, I had data in here. Uh, it's got none. Um, I don't know how well, this tool could certainly handle that. I mean, li living off rentals, you know, you're gonna put these in as assets with certain income. My hunch is right now, a lot of these tools could be helpful. I'll do the video, you'll look at Projection Lab. New retirement is excellent. I've done a video on that already. So you could check that out. I think it would be very good. Um, I'm trying to, on trajectory is another one you could look at. Um, I'm going to be continuing to do more of these. I think all of those could probably churn through whatever you needed to, to know. I'm trying to think with Projection Lab, since I'm going to be doing this um, uh, video tomorrow, like you can add a house. What I don't know, I, you'd probably, let me go to plan for a second. See, now you've got me curious today, create plan. I can't, it's going to take me too long. Uh, you've got to be able to create income and make an assumption on the rental income. I don't know. I don't know of any of these that specifically have features specifically designed for rentals per se. You, what you'd end up doing is creating, you know, an asset with some income associated with it that you adjust, you can adjust it for inflation, but you'd be updating it every year. So uh, and in that sense, the rental is no different than any, any really any other income producing asset. Although as we well know, there's plenty of tax advantages to rental income, uh, to, to rental properties. But I think any of those you should check out and they're all reasonably priced. Okay. MJ, when you look at a the 5% cap, do you look at what you effectively own in ETFs and mutual funds? Apple, for example, is 6.7% of the S&P. So I don't have a 5% cap. That's Mr. Wonderful. Um, I started to say Dennis O'Leary. I don't think that's his name. Uh, uh, but, but that's not my rule. If, if I had a hard cap, yes, I would. I would factor in... Um, Funds that I own that have it. I also own Berkshire Hathaway, which owns Apple. But yeah, I don't worry about the five percent cap. I do because I, you know, I do contribute Apple stock to my donor, our donor advice fund. Part of that is because it's got the most gains uh, baked in, but also because of its exposure. I mean, I don't lose any sleep over the exposure, but I'm I'm happy to reduce it each year. The problem is it keeps going up. Well, this year it hasn't. Yeah, it's down this year a little bit, even with the, the run-up the other day. All right. Jeffrey says, go Buckeyes. Thank you. Best comment of the night. I, I got. I mean, who knows? We, we got to get through some other games. Michigan's going to be a tough game. They look good. All right. I will, um, so Paul says, recently read the 712 portfolio by uh, Craig Israelson and thought the idea of uncorrelated assets seemed interesting. Yeah, it's very good. Not the portfolio, but the idea of uncorrelated assets. What are your thoughts? So 
I do have plans to do more videos on other sort of, they call these lazy portfolios. And I'm from, I've heard of the 712 portfolio. Let's take a quick look at it. I want to be able to find something that's here we go. So here it is on portfolio charts. So what do we got? Large cap blend, small cap blend. Blend just being like a large cap blend would be an S&P 500 index fund, right? Let me take the comment down. Uh, some international, some emerging markets, fine. It's a, it's a heavy exposure to emerging markets compared to developed countries, but that, whatever. Uh, intermediate bonds, international bonds, which is fine. I don't have an issue with that. I don't own any, but it's fine. I wouldn't have 8.3% in cash. So I don't like that. 8.3% uh, in REITs, fine. Uh, I wouldn't have 16% in commodities. Um, but having said that, I look at this, this is not a, I, you know, this would be in the, in the, my biggest concern would be the cash. That's probably my biggest concern. My second biggest concern would be commodities. I don't know why you want 16% in commodities. Now I haven't looked at the historical returns on this portfolio. Um, those would be my concerns or my two biggest concerns. But I mean, it's a fairly well diversified portfolio. So, yeah. I need to do more. I was doing, I was reviewing the cockroach portfolio. Yeah, that's really a thing. I think it looks kind of crazy. All right. This Joe, this could be a tough one. So Joe has uh, the Vanguard Institutional Total Bond Index Trust in a 401k. I did a Google search and found some other funds. Neither have a price same as the provider's link. How do I model this in new retirement? Well, I don't link my accounts in new retirement. I don't know if you do. Uh, but so what I would do in new retirement for my 401k is just set an assumed growth rate based on my asset allocation was all bonds, you know, it'd be based on that. If it's a, a mix, you know, whatever. And I wouldn't have to worry about tracking the individual price of any investment, including this one. So I don't know if that helps. That's how I do it in new retirement. Hmm. Chico wants to know, um, uh, given I'm about 30% marginal tax on income and I have cap gains in a typical year, what's a good strategy for tax loss harvesting for long and short-term losses sitting on both now? Bank them? Well, um, I guess it, it depends. Uh, I'm trying to think how I would analyze this. Um, your capital gains, are they short or long-term? If they're long-term, let's assume, uh, you can offset them. I don't know if you could if you could harvest losses to offset those gains and maybe another 3,000, which would take you down on the 30% marginal tax rate, 
you know, the, the ordinary income. I don't know why I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I think I would probably do that. Unless there were some reason not to it. I can't think of what that would be off the top of my head. Now, if we're talking relatively small amounts of money and it's just not worth the hassle, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much capital gains you have and so on, but what would be what would be the point of not doing it? It's a question. <laughs> MW says, Oh, Rob, we know how much we suck here in Illinois. No hard feelings. <laughs> Didn't really mean to say that, but I mean your pensions and we had some issues. All right. Um, ba -bum. Looking for some questions. Remember to tag me. Kelly wants to know, any thoughts on contributing a portion of your 401k to a Roth 401k for those over the Roth IRA limits? Yeah. I mean, again, it comes down to what you think you, what your tax savings will be now versus what you'd pay in taxes in the future. Uh, but if, if a Roth makes sense, I don't, yeah, I, I would, I've used a Roth 401k in the past and um, liked them. You know, they're great. Okay, so Jeffrey wants to know, what is your recommendation for a core holding, SCHD, which is Schwab's dividend fund, or VTI, which is Vanguard's total stock market ETF, or something else? So for the core holdings, I want a total stock market fund. You could, if you didn't have that available in a 401k, but you had an S&P 500, that's fine too. So that's what I would have as my core holding, total stock market. If I wanted to tilt towards value a bit, I could add some SCHD, which I've done, not a lot. But yeah, I would, for me, it's total stock market is the core holding. All right. Did you see that Hikaru Nakamura won the, the Fisher Random World Championship in chess? Now, for those of you that are saying, Rob... What's the Fisher Random? What is Fisher Random chess? So the idea is, you know, the pieces, you got pawns, but behind the pawns, you've got your pieces, rooks, knights, bishops, king, and queen. And when you play chess, they're all, of course, all set up the same, same way every time. Well, the Fisher Random, named after Fisher, I guess he came up with this idea. You randomly, in the tournament, does this. They decide, I think they draw numbers, but... They mix up all the pieces on the back row, and and both sides are the same. So in other words, if you you have a rook over here, it's going to be in the same spot with the opponent. The idea is to create positions that chess players haven't studied, right? Because chess, particularly at their levels, a lot of openings are memorized. I mean, they might play the first 10, 20, 30 moves from memory, depending on how it goes. But with Fisher Random, you can't do that because the pieces are all jumbled. I'm going to see if I can show you a picture. Yeah, so this is just Wikipedia, but this is an example. Let's see, you've got a, a, your kings over here, your queens in this corner, you know, the knights in the wrong place, bishop, 
and it's this whatever you've done on one side it's the same on the other and again there's 960 combinations which is why it's called fisher random 960 at least i assume that's why it's called 960 anyway i just thought i'd bring up a non-finance topic that's the only thing i could think of uh. I see that I, the chat is already at some point was discussing Dave Ramsey. I think his, you know, when people are starting out and they've got trouble with debt, I point them to Dave Ramsey. All right. Here's an interesting question. Don't smoke crack. That's the person's name or YouTube name. Rob, receiving an inheritance offered cash or shares of New York State Muni Fund, total amount about 150000 My thought is take the Muni, pocket the 2.5% yield tax-free, and sell at a, at a loss. Why a loss in one to four years? Well, the first question is, what's the money for? What, what's your plan with it? When are you going to spend it? Is it long-term investing? Are you going to buy a house with it in four years? You know, what's your plan? You can't, you can't answer a question about how, I, how to invest it without understanding your goals. Obviously, your other financial situation, you know, do you have a lot of debt? Maybe, I mean, let's imagine you had a lot of credit card debt. 50 grand in credit card debt at 25%. You might want to take the cash and pay off the credit card debt, right? So your finances matter. Your other investments matter. Uh, does it make sense, given all your other investments and your financial situation, to put 150 grand in a muni bond fund? The fact that it's tax-free is fine. It doesn't make it a good investment, right? You're going to get lower yield. It might be a good investment, but... You know, if you look at your, come up with an overall investment plan, overall asset allocation, and then ask, okay, does it make sense as part of this plan to put 150 grand in the municipal bond fund? Obviously, I can't answer that in the abstract, but that's how I would think through it. All right. Jerry, appreciate it. He says, Love your show. Appreciate your time putting these together. Well, I'm glad that people show up and watch. It's a lot of fun. All right, and I'm pre. I'm, and a shout out to Noreen, who's who does a great job um, moderating, and she she deletes a ton of comments. By the way, let me see if I can show an example. People try to um, pretend they're me in a comment. Let me see if I can show you an example. And they, they'll, they'll, they'll put their uh, WhatsApp number to get you to try to call them. I mean, I delete them when I see them. So does Noreen. Maybe there are. See if I can find one quickly. Maybe there are. We, maybe we've gotten rid of them all, at least all the ones we can see. Oh, here we go. Here's one right here. So what they do is they create a, um, a YouTube username that includes a WhatsApp number. And then, but they use my picture. 
And you say, well, wait a minute, Rob, that can't be right. Surely YouTube is all over this. No, they're not. YouTube sucks, at least at this. So like I can click this and I can report them. So I can hit report. And what do I call this? Well, we'll just say unwanted commercial content or spam. And that deletes it. But of course, nothing happens as far as I can tell. So what I normally do, here it is again. They'll have bots, I think, that come through and they'll add like dozens of these. I just hide the user from the channel after I report it once. So don't, I, I don't have a WhatsApp account. I'm never going to ask you to call me via WhatsApp or whatever. So let's be careful. Look at that. There's more. Let's be careful out there. Anyway, yeah. All right, I don't know why I went off on that topic. Well, here we go. So Ethan says, if I get hit by a truck, I'll have my wife invest 100% in Vanguard's life strategy fund. Thoughts? Putting aside the question of taxes to get your current investments into a life strategy fund, I think it's perfectly fine. You know who does this? Uh, Mike Piper, oblivious investor. Here he is. Uh, he's, we're gonna. I I've talked to him at the Bogleheads conference, and I am gonna have him on the show. We're gonna talk about Social Security, but he's written about that. I don't know if I could easily find it um, on his site, but um, I think 100% of his portfolio is life strategy. So I think it's a, a very. It's not a bad idea. Again, you, if it's a taxable account, you want to be careful with the taxes, right? Um, moving stuff over. That's the one issue that comes to mind right away. Mel is watching the show while handing out candy. That's impressive. Oh, I'm seeing inappropriate comments. I mean, how do I block them? Add to block list in restream chat. Done. Let's see. Kelly says, I've been reading a lot of financial books recently. Uh, found Ramsey's to be not my favorite. Any recommendations? I hear that Retired Before Mom and Dad book is pretty good. Book Club. Yeah. By the way, for those who don't know, that's my book. Um, I'll tell you one that I'm reading now that I've had for a while that I, I really enjoy. is just The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Really, really good. He does a great job of using stories, you know, real stories, you know, about, about people uh, and and weaves them into life lessons about money uh, that I just, I think he's done a really good job of it. Um, I'll show you the book here. Here it is. Published it a couple of years ago. Really good. All right. Four minutes. Any good questions I can get to? Well, yeah, Taco Cruiser wants to know, didn't ask me, but would you rather put all your money in an S&P 500 ETF or Berkshire? If I could pick one of the other, yeah, I'd pick S&P 500. It's just more diversified.
So Gary says, I recently finished your book. I really liked it. Thank you. Instead of a to total market index fund, what are your thoughts on doing one third each of large, mid and small cap index funds? Well, the effect of doing that, I don't think it's bad. I think it's within the, you know, the, within, it's a reasonable approach. You're obviously going to have a much higher weighting of small cap and a much, and a, and a higher rating of mid cap. Let's take a look at it. We can see this. So we can just go over to, to Morningstar. We'll pull up, uh, we'll just pull up VTI. Maybe go to portfolio. So um, here are the weights, right? So this is small cap, right? So this is uh, what, 9%. In your approach, make sure you guys can see this. Okay, you'd have 33% here, right? And this has got 20, you'd have 33%. So you'd have more small, a lot more small cap, a decent amount more mid cap. And then this would come way down, right? Because you've got, um, what, 60, 58, and 15. So 73, I think, if my math is correct. Um, something like that. Maybe it's 71. Why can't I do the math? 58, 68. Does this not add up? 60, right? This is 30 and 30 is 60. So that would be 58, 68, 73, 83, 93, 102. I mean, it's, I'm tired. It's late. We've been doing this for an hour and a half and Morningstar is not adding up. Either that or I've done the math wrong, but I don't think so in any event. <laughs> See, I'm just tired getting a little goofy. So I don't think that's a bad approach um, at all. Um, you're going to deviate from sort of the market portfolio, but I think personally it's within the, 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 the range of reasonable portfolios or reasonable approaches. All right. I'm just going to scoot to the bottom here because we're out of time. See what, what's going on live chat. What do we got? What are you saying, Vinyl? Was my math wrong? I don't think so. My wife plays a lot. By the way, how do you pronounce it? Sudoku? Sudoku? See, that's why chess is just a much better game. So they say it, whoops, you're saying it adds to 100. Okay. Okay, I got to just, maybe I, I did something wrong. We're gonna. I'm pulling up the calculator. 15 plus 29 plus 29 plus 20. No, it doesn't. Plus seven. No, it adds to 102. Who's right and got two thumbs? This guy. All right. Maybe Norse meant something else. Well, so Browns or Bengals. Um, I grew up a Steelers fan. I mean, I really was an Ohio State Buckeye fan. And Columbus... It's just Buckeyes. Uh, I was a, I, I liked the Bengals back in the day, mainly because uh, Archie Griffin, uh, two-time Heisman winner from Ohio State, did, didn't really have a distinguished career in the NFL, but he played for the Bengals. And I've got a football right over there, signed by him and the Bengals. I want to say 1978, maybe. Uh, 
but right honestly now with the NFL, I don't really, I'm not a diehard fan of anybody. I like watching fun players, good quarterbacks. You know, I like to watch the Bears because Justin Fields is their quarterback, really talented. Ohio State uh, played for Ohio State. You know, I kind of, yeah, I kind of watch just based on who's playing. All right, gang, it is 831. I hope I've been somewhat useful today and uh, in, in answering your questions. And uh, I hope you have a great week. I will have more videos this week for sure, and um, including one on Projection Lab. And uh, so hopefully you'll find that useful. Feel free to shoot me an email. If you have topics you want me to cover in the future, let me know. I do read all the emails. I've almost given up trying to respond to them. I mean, it's just um, I get a lot of them, so I do my best, but I do read them all. I promise you that and um, respond to those that I can take notes and on, on a lot of them for future video ideas. So if you have things you want me to cover, shoot me an email. Definitely will read it. I might respond, uh, but I will be doing that. So, yeah, we'll have a, a, a great week. Happy Halloween. And until next next week, you know, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Remember, the best thing money can buy 